0: And please turn with me once again this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you're visiting with us, we've been considering a series in the evening through the Belgic Confession, uh, one of the creeds, uh, creedal statements of our Christian faith. And this article of the Belgic Confession has been on the Lord's Supper, so we've been thinking about various aspects of the Lord's Supper from Belgic Confession, article 35, but we always want to root and ground our teaching in the scriptures and so we want to read from 1 Corinthians 11 and what the apostle Paul has to say once again about the Lord's Supper and to continue to consider that together. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11 beginning at verse 17 and we'll read through verse 34. Let's pay careful attention for this is God's own word. But in the following instructions I do not commend you because when you come together it is not for the better but for the worse. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat... Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. May He bless it to us. Well, as I mentioned, we've been spending several weeks thinking about the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and the great teaching of the Belgic Confession, drawing from Scripture Many of the different aspects of this sacrament that we need to understand uh, for our benefit and for our edification. Um, We've been primarily focusing and trying to drive home that reality about the sacraments that they are God's testimony to us, uh, that God is speaking to us in the sacraments, that God is making promises to us that we are receiving as His people. And to try to get that mindset in our minds and hearts, to think of the sacraments as something that God is broadcasting to us, a way of signifying and sealing to us the promises that He makes to us in Jesus Christ. To have that that understanding that they're pointing us to God's work and particularly to the work of Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins. That our salvation was accomplished there, and we have in His cross everything we need for forgiveness of sins and eternal life. We've been saying this over and over again. Hopefully that sounds familiar to you. It's not the first time you're hearing it. Uh, We want to continue to think about the sacraments doing that, making that testimony to us. Way back when we looked at baptism, we recognized there's a testimony being made to us in our baptism, that we belong to the Lord, that we're separated from all other people. But he's promising to us he will forever be our gracious God and Father who washes us in the blood and spirit of Christ. That's what God is saying to us in our baptism. And likewise, he's saying something to us in the Lord's Supper. He's testifying to us that Christ's body was broken for you. That Christ's blood was shed for you. And that by be, becoming a partaker of Christ by faith, that sacrifice is applied to you. It will nourish your soul unto everlasting life with the true body and true blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is making that, that promise to us. He promises us that in the gospel. He reaffirms that promise through the sacraments. He's making that wonderful statement to Him. And we've continued to, continue to focus on that testimony that God is making. But hopefully we see as we've gone on that it never means that it's only about what God is saying and doesn't call for a response from God's people, Um, because the sacraments are also calling for a response. And one of the responses that the Lord's Supper calls for is for us to be proper partakers of the Lord's table. Um, And that's what we want to see from the end of Belgic Confession, uh, Article 35, and from this text that we are to respond to God's testimony by participating in the sacraments as He has directed. They are God's testimony, but He calls us to participate and to be proper partakers. Uh, we, We see that in the institution of the Lord's Supper in Luke 22, verses 17 through 20. And He, Jesus, took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He said, "'Take this and divide it among yourselves.'" Um, And so while the sacraments are primarily and most importantly God's testimony to us, they do call for a response from God's people. They are to be received by us in the proper way. Um, and And in that, the sacraments are not unlike the gospel as it's preached. The gospel preaches the assurance that you will be received by God, you'll be forgiven of your sins and receive eternal life by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and what is the the response that that gospel message calls for? Repent and believe, right? Repent, believe, be baptized, come to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And so even though the promise is clearly made to us, it calls for a response. And we want to think about that response that's called for um, in the Lord's Supper. And the responses that are called for we see throughout Uh, The passage that we've read, there is a response called for in the people of God. Look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What, What is one of the things we do in response to what God is broadcasting to us in the sacrament. We respond by proclamation. That's one of the responses called for from God's people. Or look at verse 28. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Um, In light of what God has said, we're called to examination and participation in the things that God has given to us. Um, Or think about verses 33 and 34, so then my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another, and if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment." What is that calling for in God's people? Cooperation. um, Communion with one another. uh, True participation with one another. These are all responses that are called for uh, by God's people. So we want to make sure that we are coming in the proper way, that we are proper partakers of the Lord's table. Um, And so how do we become proper partakers? What do we see in God's Word, especially as it's summarized in the Belgian Confession, well, you'll be surprised to hear that we see seven things. Okay, so this is my first seven-point sermon. might be my last. We'll see how it goes. Um, but it's, it's seven things, I think, particularly that come across clearly, both in God's Word and in the Confession, about how we are to come to the table of the Lord. Um, and you note-takers, I'll give it to you as we go along. So I'm not going to try to make you write down seven things right out of the gate, uh, you'll have to just pay attention to me as I go along and I'll try to be very clear about where we go. Um, but there, there are seven adverbs we can really draw from this, this testimony of Scripture, both as Paul sets it out for us and as it's summarized in the Belgic Confession, how we are to be proper partakers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, what do we see in this supper? Well, the first thing we see is that we are to participate in the Lord's Supper communally, uh, that's the first thing that we see in the Lord's Supper. It's to be received communally. The Belgian Confession says we receive the Holy Sacrament in the gathering of God's people as we engage together. The Lord's Supper is to be participated in communally. Um, by this, we testify with Scripture there's no such thing as a private, individual communion. Communion. It's to be received in the assembly of God's people. There's something in which, there's a sense in which the sacrament cannot function without the people of God coming together. Um, And and Paul makes that point as he's going on, right? You come together, that's right, but when you come together, you're doing the wrong thing. Um, And so the, the right thing can only be done when you come together. Uh, there, there's a communal aspect that must be present in the Lord's Supper that comes across clearly in 1 Corinthians 11. We have to come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It has to be participated in communally. Um, they have to come together to eat. There have to be other people there for you to wait for one another, right? The implications of all of this, are thing, these are things that we need to do together, Now, someone might ask, well, what about when we take communion to people who are shut in? Um, Are they getting a kind of individual private communion? No, what we're trying to do as a church is bring the church to them, to bring an assembly to them that they can be part of because they can't be part of it here with us. Um, But I I don't go and celebrate communion just individually. I try to bring other people along with me while I do it. Um, So, Lucille Brockmuller is one example of someone who has communion with us, often with Bob Hannibal and I. Um, We'll celebrate. We try to have a mini church service to remember we are coming together as a church in this because she can't come to church, the church comes to her and enfolds her in the church and we do this communally together. Um, I remember being a deacon in, in Escondido and participating in one of these services for um, someone who was in an old folks home. And when we were done, she was, had tears coming down her face because she said, I, be, I feel like I belong again. Why did she feel like she didn't belong? Because she didn't feel like she was in the assembly of God's people. And so it was wonderful that we could come together with her to participate, that we could bring the assembly of God's people because this is not something we can do by ourselves. It's not something we can do individually privately. We have to come together with one another to do these things. That's the implication of this passage. That's the implication we see elsewhere in God's Word, Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and prayers, right? To the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Fellowship is an integral part of all of this. Um, We participate in it communally, as we do with the hearing of the Word. That also we are participating in communally. We hear God's Word preached publicly and together. And in the same way, the sacrament reinforces and strengthens, confirms what we've heard publicly and together, as we participate in it publicly and together. Uh, We have to keep in mind that the Lord's Supper is never just a sacrament of our own individual personal communion with God, But a means by which we also show our fellowship with one another, Uh, that we show that we are one people as we come together. Uh, That's how the Holy Spirit Himself wanted us to think of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 through 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation of the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. You see how that communal act is meant to express the unity that we have, the oneness that we have in Christ, but also in Christ and with one another. Um, So we do this together. We all come together. We have to celebrate it communally with other Christians, coming together together. Uh, that we might do it as God wants us to do. So to be proper partakers, we have to partake of it communally. Uh, We also have to participate in it conscientiously. Um, That's another thing that's called for in this text and summarized in the Belgic Confession. We have to come conscientiously. How do we come? We're to come with humility and reverence. We're to come in a holy remembrance of the death of Christ our Savior. To participate in this this supper conscientiously, we have to do so with humility. We have to come recognizing as we come to the table that we are sinners who come only with our sins and need, that we don't come to the table bringing some kind of worthiness to be at the table with us, we come only as needy people seeking to receive everything From the hands of our Savior. We have to come like the publican at prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Uh, The humility that comes with standing before the Lord and recognizing who we are and that we have nothing. We are utterly dependent on Him for every saving good. We come to Him with humility. We come to Him with reverence. That's why we spent so much time last time thinking about the the real presence of Christ in the supper, to remind ourselves that we are really communing with the living Son of God when we come to the table of the Lord so that we make sure that we come to Him with reverence, Uh, that this is not a, a flippant thing to do, right? Hebrews 12, 28, and 29, we always should keep in our minds, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire." Um, our being rec- reconciled sinners, being children of God does not make God Himself any less awesome, any less worthy of our reverence. Uh, doesn't make the divide between creature and Creator any less. God is still awesome in who He is. Think of, think of how Jacob tumbled to that realization. In Genesis 28 at Bethel, when he saw the ladder to heaven and angels ascending and descending on the ladder, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. God was here and I didn't know it. The covenant God was here and I didn't know it. How awesome is this place? And what did Jesus reveal when he came into the world about that vision that Jacob saw? That what Jacob was seeing in that moment was what Jesus was the reality of. Um, Jesus says in John 1, 50 and 51, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The Lord Jesus is the Lord. He is the awesome one. Um, And no one should come to the table of the Lord saying, oh, surely the Lord was in this place and I didn't know it. We're meant to come knowing it and to come with the reverence that shows we know it. And to recognize this is an awesome place when God comes to meet with His people. Here comes the King who reigns over an unshakable kingdom that He has made by His own strength and power. That's a God who is awesome. That's a God who we should always reproach with reverence. And come and make a holy remembrance of what this awesome God has done. Um when we tumble to that recognition, as Jacob did, that we are in the presence of the Lord, it can tend to make us afraid, right? Um, God is a consuming fire, um, does not warm the cockles of your heart. Um, It makes you afraid. And, And the wonderful thing about the Lord's table is we come in humility and we come in reverence, but we come and make a holy remembrance that this awesome God has called us To draw near to him has called us to come and to remember why it is that sinners like us can live in the presence of a God like him. How people who are so dead in trespass and sin can come to fellowship with a God who is awesome in his holiness. How can that happen? It can only happen because of what Christ has done for us by his cross. We have been reconciled to God through the death of His Son. He has paid for our sins. He has opened the way for us to come. I've said before, I hope we never get tired of our our communion forms that talk about the Lord's Supper as entering into the Holy of Holies. Um, And and we, we pray a prayer of thanksgiving after the Lord's Supper, saying we've come into the Holy of Holies, and in the place of fear, we've been given hope. Why? Because the way into that holy place that was death to enter the copy on earth. We can enter the true reality in heaven through the way that Jesus is opened by the curtain that is by his flesh. That he suffered to be torn on the cross that we might enter in. That Jesus took upon himself our sin and was consumed by the fire of God's wrath against sin in our place. That he suffered body and soul that we might be set free. That we can approach with humility and with reverence, but without terror. And remember what Christ did for us to bring us near. We come to a holy remembrance of the death of Christ, our Savior. That he has saved us by the death of his cross. We're able to come and to remember the great love the Father had for us in sending us the Son who could be the only Savior who could set us free from our sins. We come and are able to remember terrible suffering, that His body was broken, that His blood was shed to pay for our sins. But to remember the salvation that has come to His people, that that Lord who is dead is now risen. He's living. He's fellowshipping with us. He's coming again in glory we can remember the death of Christ our Savior. And so we're called to participate in this supper, not just communally, but conscientiously um, with reverence and with humility in a holy remembrance of Christ's cross. Now, all of my points are not that long if you're worried that we're only on two of seven. Um, Don't worry. I think we're going to be okay. Um, But we need to participate communally, we need to participate conscientiously, we also need to participate thankfully. We're we're to participate in this supper with thanksgiving. Um, We we sometimes call the the prayer, we sometimes call the Lord's Supper the Eucharist. Um, And maybe we don't use that language because somehow in our mind it's associated with Rome or something else, but Eucharist simply comes from the Greek for thanksgiving. It's a thankful table to have. We should be grateful for having this table provided to us. Because we come and to remember Jesus Christ and remember what He's done for us. That opens the way for us to have fellowship with Him and with His Father. Right? For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That's cause for thanksgiving. Um, And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's reason for thanksgiving. Or one more. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Why should we always come thankfully to the table of the Lord? Because it's a constant reminder to us that our eternal life has been secured by our faithful Savior. That we have been reconciled to our Father. How could a holy remembrance of the death of Christ our Savior not fill us with thankfulness for what God has done? We're to come thankfully. Fourthly, we're to come confessionally. We're to come with confession on our lips. It's an interesting way that Belgian Confession puts it. Finally, with humility and reverence, we receive the Holy Sacrament and the gathering of God's people as we engage together with thanksgiving in a holy remembrance of the death of Christ our Savior, and as we thus confess our faith and Christian religion. We come confessionally. We make a confession when we come to the table of the Lord. We are making a statement in the world when we come to the table of the Lord. That's what Christ wanted. Christ said, do this in remembrance of me. Um, And you do this when you do this. What do we say when we come to the table of the Lord? We are saying, we remember We remember, and more than just we remember, what what does Paul, how does Paul put it in verse 26? You know these words, you hear them every Sunday, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. It's a confession we make of the Christian religion that this is the fundamental of our faith. That we believe that Christ is our Savior, that He has died for our sins, that we come to remember Him and to proclaim His death. Christ died for sinners to set them free. And We believe and we remember, and we will remember Him as His people as long as this world lasts not saying I'll do it as long as the world lasts, but we will do it as the people of God. Until the coming of our Savior, His death will be proclaimed in this world. We are making a confession of our Christian religion. Because everything in the Christian religion finds its focus in the death of the Savior. Jesus said that when He said it is finished. He was saying everything that's come before me is finished here. Everything that was pictured in the Old Testament is fulfilled here. Everything that was promised in the Old Testament is secured here. And everything going forward that my people will do, they will look back here to know that salvation was accomplished here on my cross. It's finished here. And when we come to the Lord's table and we remember the death of our Savior, what we are broadcasting in the world is that we believe in His death, we proclaim His death. This is the Christian religion. Christ crucified for sinners as the only hope of sinners. All of our salvation is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. That if you believe in Jesus Christ, your sin, your death, your hell was all put to an end there with Him on the cross. That in His resurrection, your righteousness, your eternal life, your place in heaven were all proclaimed by Him. We find all of our hope there and we respond to what he's done with our confession it's really all we can do there's nothing we can add to the finished work of jesus christ the only thing we can do when we hear the finished work of jesus christ when we see the finished work of jesus christ proclaimed to us is say amen so it will truly be that that's really the god's people at their best or when we just say amen to the promises of God. Right? That, that's, how, that's how the scriptures end. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. What does the church say? Amen. Come Lord Jesus. That's all we can do is proclaim what he's already done. And that's why we participate confessionally. That's what we're doing when we come. We're making a confession. This is the Christian religion. Right? The, the false religion of Islam might come and say, God is great, Muhammad is his prophet, that nonsense that's untrue and damnable, and the truth of the confession of the world is Christ is Lord, he died for sinners, and if you believe in him, you'll live forever. That's the truth. That's what we get to proclaim as God's people. We get to confess the Christian religion in the world. It's a glorious thing to be able to partake of the Lord's Supper confessionally. And because of what a serious business it is, we also have to partake of it carefully. We have to partake of it carefully. Because this is an awesome meeting of holy remembrance, it should not be done without self-examination. Right? It should be done with an appreciation for the seriousness of what's going on. That's why we say in the Belgic Confession, therefore, no one should come to this table without examining himself carefully. Lest by eating this bread and drinking this cup, he eat and drink jud- judgment to himself. Um, that's a quotation of our passage, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. Um, and there are really three aspects to this self examination. Do you really understand yourself? That's what we, we want to ma- meditate on every time we come to the Lord's table. Do you really understand who you are? Are you a sinner who is heartily sorry for your sins? Are you a believer? Do you you confess you've been saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone? Is it your desire to live a holy life pleasing to the Lord? Do you really understand yourself? That's part of our self-examination. And to proclaim the death of the Lord, we have to ask, do you understand the Lord? Do you understand what He did on His cross? Can you make that confession of Him in the world? Do you know what He did? By His perfect life and His sacrificial death and His glorious resurrection. Do you understand Him? And do you believe what He did is for you? So we have to understand ourselves, we have to understand the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have to understand the supper. We have to understand what we're doing as we eat and drink. Do you know what's represented in the sacrament? Can you discern the body and blood of Christ, as Paul says in verse 29? These are the things that we have to know so that we might come carefully to the Lord's table. But we wouldn't want to leave it there with just, you know, be careful because it could be dangerous if you come in the wrong way. That's all very true. But we want to always say, don't just be careful not to come in the wrong way, but come expecting good things to happen when you come. So in the sixth place, we should come to the table expectantly that good things will happen to us when we come to the table. We ought to expect the table of the Lord to make an impact on our hearts and lives by the grace of God. It's our confession that in short, by the use of this holy sacrament, we are moved to a fervent love of God and our neighbors. Never forget, people of God, the sacrament is a means of grace. It's the grace of God that works in us. It's the Holy Spirit who works in us, but He's a Spirit of means. He works through things. And as He works through the preaching of the Word in our hearts and minds, so also He works through the supper in our hearts and minds. To work His grace in us. To move us, I love how we say that, move us to a more fervent love of God and our neighbors. To hear that confirmation and participate in that confirmation of the saving work Of Jesus Christ not just for ourselves but with one another it helps to remind us who we are doing this with right other people who've been saved by grace by the death of our Savior that we share that in common that common bond that unites us together like no other bond in the world unites people Um, sociologists have pointed out our, our world is fracturing more and more into smaller and smaller groups and, and these big groups that were identifiers in the past are getting lost. And we're getting separated into smaller and smaller subgroups. And some people feel disoriented by this, this continual fracturing of our society. But here is a bond that unites. Here is a bond that brings us together. And here is something we do that we should do expectantly, expecting that it will move us to help us love one another better. To realize we are one body partaking in this one bread. We are one people of God, that it will increase our love for one another and it will increase our love for God by engaging in this holy remembrance that reminds us again and again and again of what our Savior has done for us and that He gives all of this freely to us as a gift of His grace. We come expectantly and finally we come scripturally. We must partake of these things and participate in these things only as God has directed us in His Word. The Lord's Supper is perfect as He's delivered it to us in His Word. It's best done by simply going through His Word and doing the things that the Word tells us to do: to take, to eat, to remember, and to believe. To take, to drink, to remember. And to believe, that's all that's necessary in the Lord's Supper. And if we try to make it better, we're going to make it worse. Um, That's why we say, therefore we reject as desecrations of the sacraments all the muddled ideas and damnable inventions that men have added and mixed in with them. And we say that we should be content with the procedure that Christ and the apostles have taught us And speak of these things as they have spoken of them. Paul never says, this is my supper that I'm directing you how to do these things. Even when he comes with criticism and even when he comes with correction, how does he frame it? I receive from the Lord what I delivered to you. I'm just the middleman in this. Jesus gave it to me, I gave it to you. That's why it's important to do it the way he said to do it, because he gave it to us. And whatever we try to add to it and try to mix into it is just going to make it worse. Um, in that way, we can always think of, I, I, my mind always goes to an illustration that the pastor used when I was a kid that has stuck with me, where he said, if you could go into the Louvre and go to the Mona Lisa, you could look at it and say, I think I can do better. And you can give her a nice toothy smile. And say, I think I've improved it. Um, And you know what you'll have done. You'll have ruined a masterpiece with your foolishness. You'll have subtracted from it by adding to it. And that's what we're saying here. Now, that would be a crime against art. What the confession rightly reminds us here is that it would be a crime against God to add to something that God has instituted. When he's tried to make it as simple a picture as possible. For our edification, to add to it really would be a damnable invention. Um, some of us would just think this is, you know, one of those passages of the reform being reformed, just being angry that we like. Um, no, they're they're being serious about that. It's a terrible thing to add to what God has done. Um, when He told them to make a tabernacle, He said, "I'm going to give you instructions. You follow them to the letter." I am not interested in your ideas for improving worship. Or there's no suggestion box in the tabernacle about how we can improve your worship experience. Because God knows what's best for us. And he gives us this supper that is so simple that we should not take it and make it something it's not. Paul said that, that's what the Corinthians were doing. That whatever mess they were involved in, it was, had nothing to do with what God wanted done in the supper. It was to be very simple, very scripturally engaged in. The Lord has given it to you. We've delivered it to you from the Lord. Do what we've received from God and trust that it will do for us what God has promised to do. We, We sometimes just will not take the simple that God has given to us. We always think we can dress it up and make it better. And in doing that, we always make it worse. Let's be content with what God has given to us scripturally to do in the supper. Um, So those are my seven points um, about being proper partakers of the Lord's Supper. But brothers and sisters, let us strive to be these kinds of proper partakers. When we come to the table, we recognize that Christ is there and that He deserves our humility and our reverence, our thanksgiving, our remembrance, our praise. But the table doesn't need any improving by us. Let us simply come to this simple means of grace that God has given to us and revel in the Savior we meet there about whom Paul says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do desire to be proper partakers of the Lord's Supper. We thank you for these things that you've given to us, these simple reminders from your word about how to approach your table. And we pray that we would be built up in a more fervent love for you and a more fervent love for one another when we participate in these things aright. And so help us to apply these truths that we have learned this evening to our benefit, uh, that we might be edified through it, but mostly so that your name might be glorified as the God who's come to poor sinners and given them the riches of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his death. Thank you for the privilege of proclaiming that death until he comes. Um, And may that be our only hope and trust in the things that afflict us in this world. Help us in this, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.